The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. LinkedIn can be a pretty bleak place, with so much self-promotion and politics where it shouldn't be. One of the nicest things I've been seeing lately are stories from today's guest about the background to some of her spice mix and tea mixes that involve her family, Indian tradition, and a generous dollop of hospitality. Perzen Patel will be known to many listeners for her wonderful stories she shared on the spin-off, like of her dolly mama, her grandma, and her prawn curry. Perzen's mission is to help people explore Indian food past butter chicken, and she does this through her company, Dolly Mama. She joins us now to talk her journey, her products, and the mission. Tanakwe, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Simon. Hey, so tell me how you came to be in the food business, because it's quite a cool, um, quite a cool origin story uh, involving India, a marriage, uh, discovery of cooking. Um, <laughs> paint us the picture. Sure. So, I guess the picture starts in university. I studied hospitality as well as marketing, and then promptly got a job in marketing. And uh, at that point, the only thing I knew about cooking was basically my mom used to call me the continental chef, which was, you know, I'd make all the pastas at home, I'd make pizza at home, but like Indian food was her territory. And um, of course, I ended up uh, being in a long distance relationship with uh, this guy from India. And then I moved to India. And this whole time I was dating, my mom would keep telling me that, you know, like, how are you going to survive? Like, you need to learn how to cook Indian food. And I was like, no, 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 I'll figure it out. Anyways, got married, didn't know how to cook any Indian food at all. And so with the time difference, luckily, it was really good. So my in-laws wouldn't wake up until, you know, kind of eight, nine o'clock, but that's afternoon in New Zealand. So I'd make these secret phone calls to mum. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, my God, mum, I would really want to make this thing because you know, pleasing your in-laws through food is so much a part of Indian culture. So I really wanted to cook for them and, uh, you know, impress them with my hospitality skills. So I'd make these secret phone calls and mum would give me um, some ingredients, but she'd never like tell me the quantities, you know, like a typical, um, and I've come to realise that that's very typical of Indian mums. So they'll always just tell you, oh, add a little bit of this and then add a little bit of chilli. And she'd tell me the steps, but she wouldn't tell me the quantities. And because I was so like such a continental chef, I was like, what is a little bit of turmeric? What is that? Like, tell me the actual ingredients. Um and she wouldn't. So I was like, you know what, I'll start a food blog. And the whole idea at that time was it was more a place for me to record the recipes so that I didn't lose the pieces of paper. And for the longest time, I think for the first year, I kind of used it more as a personal reference. But what happened is because I was documenting 
my community's food, because um, I belong to a small par- community called the Parsis, a lot of people started reading it and then they were like, oh, your cooking and your recipes reminds me of my grandmom's curry and reminds me of this. And that kind of turned into, so the personal diary turned into like a food blog. And um, I remember one of the days someone commented saying, can we buy this food of you? And I felt like a total imposter because here I am like having a food blog because I don't know how to cook food. (laughs) And this person (laughs) wants to buy the food off me. Um, But my husband's very entrepreneurial. So I was like, you know, what should we do? And he's like, yeah, totally. Just sell it to them and um, we'll we'll figure it out. And so that's how I got into the food business. I would kind of learn a recipe from Monday to Friday, perfect it, and then... um, uh, sell it on the weekend. And it was like a weekend pop-up menu. And that's how I got into my catering business. Wow, that's so cool. And I love that idea of, you know, food is such a, a space of connection and, you know, hospitality, obviously, and, you, you, you know, cooking for the in-laws. Like, it must have been quite stressful, though. Like, you know, being in, uh, obviously, the home of uh, the cuisine and having to learn it as you go. Yeah, it was like, I remember, oh my God, the first time I made dansak. So, dansak is to Parsis what butter chicken is to Indians, in the diaspora. And so if you uh, live in Mumbai and you tell someone you're Parsi, they'll be like, oh, cook me some dansak. So dansak was like the kind of first thing I had to perfect as a, you know, newly new bride. And um, the first time I cooked it, it was a total mess because it was this. I opened up the pressure cooker. It was just this like kind of brown water, vegetables floating around. The dal had burned to the surface and it was just a total mess. And um, yeah, I remember that being one of the first recipes that I put up because I was like, new brides need to know this. Like, it need, you need to be able to make dansak in, like, clear, easy steps. And that one is, uh, you know, one of my most visited recipes. And I, even to this day, get comments or emails from people saying, you saved my marriage because you taught me how to make dansak. So that's really awesome. Yeah, and when we talk about, you know, Indian food, it's such a funny kind of thing to, to put one name on you know, a billion people and this enormous um, continent and so many different dialects and religions and uh, ways of living. Um, Tell us a little bit more about um, Parsi food and what makes that special as, yeah, my my only kind of um, understanding of um, Parsi are the wonderful books of Rohinton Mystery, like Such a Long Journey, which was one of the most special books um, I've ever read. And yeah, such a, such an interesting, um, such an interesting uh, culture. So the Parsis are quite unique because we as a community um, were persecuted. So originally we're from Iran and we were persecuted by the Arabs. And so a whole part of the community kind of moved and immigrated slowly to the state of Gujarat. And then um, as a community, we're quite entrepreneurial. There was a lot of business and we used to partner really closely with the British that occupied India at the time and slowly kind of moved from Gujarat to Mumbai. So what has happened is that we've kind of, like any migrant cuisine would, taken the best bits of all our culture and made it into this kind of cuisine that's uniquely ours. So there's a heavy use of like um, a lot of nuts 
and saffron and all of that comes from the Persian side. And then all of our desserts, if you see, they're like custard and bread and butter pudding. And it's very British. And then we use a lot of tomatoes and all of our food is like sweet and sour. And that comes from staying on the coast of Gujarat. So it's this kind of beautiful amalgamation of three different cultures. Um, and because historically it's been that Parsis can only marry other Parsis, slowly the community has kind of dwindled. So now there's only 100,000 of us in the world. Um, and I remember when I was doing my catering company in India, I'd always tell people like, you know, take my autograph on a tissue paper because I'm an endangered tiger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you never know. Like one day you'll be able to sell it. Because I think at that time there was that story of, uh, you know, someone selling Lady Gaga's tissue paper. <laughs> and I was like, that could be me. <laughs> you love it. And you mentioned tomatoes there. And, you know, we talked about your mission to help people move past butter chicken. And you're like, tell us about like the relationship to butter chicken as an actual uh, Indian cuisine chef, you know, and, and, you know, again, that word Indian there is so broad, but like, um, it's so famous, but how authentic is it? And where does it sit in your kind of um, uh, pantheon of the great dishes? Yeah. So I think with butter chicken, let me tell you a story. So I moved to New Zealand as a teenager, um, 15, 16. And back then, there wasn't this really dining out culture. So even though I lived in India for 15 years, I went to like, you know, restaurants was only for birthdays and special occasions. And even in all that time, I'd I've probably in 15 years had less butter chicken than the butter chicken I had in my first year in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I was part of the problem. You know, I loved, um, I don't know, like when I moved here, I missed home so much. So having it was just kind of a taste of home. And I always had it at food courts because I used to work at Burger King. But I always knew that it wasn't quite right, but I couldn't place my you know, finger on it, because obviously I wasn't uh, much of a cook back then. But I always knew, like, it would always sit kind of really heavy in my tummy. Um, You'd be left with this kind of really rich feeling in your mouth that kind of is like, oh, my God, I've had a lot of calories. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I never knew what was quite wrong. And then when I moved to India, I went on a food walk in Delhi, um, in Purani Delhi, which is the home of the real butter chicken, and we kind of walked for eight kilometers, ate in like nine different um, restaurants. And then we reached Moti Mahal, which is uh, the restaurant that invented butter chicken. And the dish that I tasted there was so radically different to what was in my mind as butter chicken. I cannot even tell you because there was, um, you know, like there was the smokiness in the chicken because in an ideal world, you would grill your chicken um, on a tandoor before putting it inside. And there's this kind of the smoke permeates into the chicken. There is this creaminess, but it wasn't heavy. Um, and yeah, it was just a completely different kind of dish. And that's when I really realized what we were missing, because there's this huge perception that, you know, Indian food is spicy, Indian food is heavy, and like, oh, only have it on, um, you know, like a Friday or when you're emotionally eating or whatever, because, you know, it's just like a treat food. But real Indian food isn't like that. Like, it's just really light on your stomach. It uses just a handful of ingredients, um, hardly any chili powder. So, 
yeah, it's actually so dramatically different, but it took even for me as an Indian growing up um, to really have lots and lots of bad butter chicken before I realized what the real thing tastes like. Yeah, and it's amazing how it's become like the dish of the UK, essentially. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, you know, the, the, the most famous dish there. But it's done a really real disservice to the variety and interest of uh, cooking across the subcontinent in that, you know, cream and, you know, butter and chicken are probably not the first things that you'd reach for if you were <laughs> assembling a pantry, right? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, it is in a way the story of the Indians who were the original migrants to places like New Zealand and UK because um, originally those were the North Indian uh, community that moved there and the Punjabis. And so that is something that they eat. But um, even they don't eat it with the frequency <laughs> that some people do. Like I've, uh, re- I'm have i a new entrant to TikTok. And if you search Indian food, you'll just find video after video of people like dipping these giant pieces of naan into butter chicken and stuffing their face. And I'm just like, this is not Indian food. <laughs> yeah, at a food and like you say, at a food court. And you're like, well, yeah. And, and tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, the, the the protein as well because chicken is um you, you know not uh, <laughs> like eating animals is not the go to for for the cuisine so tell us about like the um it, it it really is a time that people understanding more about all the different kinds of cooking and all the different kinds of eating should be on the rise as you've got this uh, amazing massive society with the most universities the most English speakers the most PhDs in the world and the least meat eating. Yeah. I think um, in India, there's actually, because there's so many communities and people eat really differently. So, yes, there's like a huge chunk. I would say maybe the country is kind of split equally. Um, there's a huge chunk of uh, people that are predominantly vegetarian. And then there is another chunk of people that are Jains. So they don't even eat anything that was grown under the ground, which means that cuts out tomato, that cuts out onions, it cuts out garlic. Um, sorry, not tomato. It cuts out onion and garlic. And um, then there is the Punjabis who eat chicken. And then there's a lot of people who also eat red meat. But it's not like as a nation, we just eat chicken, which is this perception that exists in um, Western, in the Western yeah, world. Yeah. And the, you know, lentils and chickpeas and, um, you know, all of these um, pulses and, and, and things that give protein and everything you need without relying on meat. It's kind of, um, there's so many dishes to go to for a complete nutritional experience without the, the, the meat. Oh, yes, definitely. And, you know, actually, I would say right now there's this huge trend of being vegetarian, of eating seasonal food. But um, I know growing up that that is just what we did in my house because um, obviously, you know, India as a country opened up to international exports very late. So I remember cheese just being like a one-off thing. And every month was like uh, devoted to a certain type of fruit or vegetable that was coming into season. Like even today in May, you'll find um, 
not so much in New Zealand, but other Indians in the diaspora, we'll be like hoarding up on mangoes because like May is for mangoes and June is for fish. And December is when um, the water chestnuts come into season. And that's such a beautiful way of eating that we've forgotten about. Um, and same with like yeah, what's the vegetarian food as well? Like, you know, we're all about cooking with different vegetables, cooking with root vegetables in the winters and fresh green vegetables in the summers. Um, and we just don't do that here. Tell me about Dolly Mama that you've named um, the company after. And we, there'll be a bunch of people listening who would have read the wonderful prawn curry story um, on the spinoff. Um, but yeah, tell us tell us about your connection to her and, and her role in your business. Yeah. So Dolly Mama, when I was starting my food business, I just really wanted something that would remind me what we stood for and what we stand for as family on top of everything and everything that comes with the word family. And um, I couldn't think of anyone better than to kind of name it after my grandmother, Dolly, because she was such a food lover. Um, I, you know, just posted yesterday, actually, that uh, she used to love, love fish. And even when she had like no teeth left in her mouth, she wanted someone to like feed her fish. And it was like our um, our duty as grandchildren <laughs> to like figure out how to make it happen. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so I have all these beautiful memories because I used to go to her house every Saturday and um the menu was always fixed. It was always uh, prawn curry. And because she was from, um, you know, we were like a middle class family, it wasn't how it is today where the whole curry is filled with prawns. It was like everyone just got a few prawns and mama would only buy just enough to feed the family. But she'd always like negotiate a few extra ones from the fish lady just for me. And um, I'd finish all these co-curricular activities and come to her house and she'd always have this, um, you know, like the whole house would be smelling of curry because she had this fresh curry leaf plant outside and she'd always pick those leaves and put them in and yeah, the whole kind of house would be smelling of it. And I remember, well, I don't remember, but that's the kind of family tale. So I'm famous for it in my family. Um, one of the times she was, you know, asking me like any grandmother would uh, what do you want to inherit? Uh, you know, like, which gold bangle do you want, etc. And I was like, no, I just want this, like, massive pot of curry <laughs> that just keeps, like, magically filling up. And that's all I want from you. Um, and, yeah, so when I was starting my business, kind of that imagery really stuck with me because that's what food means to me, you know, like it means about feeding people, um, cooking food that you'd cook at home. And um, in a happy coincidence, my husband's grandmother was also called Dolly. So because we were kind of doing this family business together, um, we just thought, why not call it Dolly Mama? Because we had all these beautiful memories of our grandparents. Yeah, how cool. We'll be back in a moment to hear from Perzin Patel how she went around building Dolly Mama. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? 
Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Welcome back, and we're with Pusin Patel of Dolly Mama. Hey, so tell me, what does the business look like today? What kind of products are you making? Uh, and tell us about, you know, the, the spice mix range. Sure. So we started because what happened is we moved here in 2019, and um, it was my first time, you know, living alone as like kind of a nuclear unit because we've always lived with my in-laws, and so that always that came with all this pressure to cook a dinner all the time and feed the kids. And um, because I was working full time as well, what happened was I started making these curry paste, and it was the idea was that I'd just make the curry paste as a shortcut on the weekend, and that would help me with my cooking. And um, one of the days, uh, what hap- my husband kind of lifted this bottle and he was like, oh, this is the one bottle to rule them all because you're making like <coughs> pizza with it, you're making this with it, you're making curry with it, you're adding in your vegetables. And that's when it struck me that, um, you know, if we want people to try more Indian food, we have to make it easy. Um, so the original products that we created was my Dolly Mama's curry paste. We created um, a paste called the Indian Everyday, which I like to describe as the, the pasta sauce of India. And um, we started off with ghee. And then we kind of slowly listened to our customers, added a tandoori paste in, added a cashew korma in. And today... Recently, what we've done now is also introduce spice blends, because if you walk into your local Indian shop, you can get, you know, like your turmeric and your red chili powder, but they don't make really authentic spice blends. And that's something that we also wanted to offer our customers, especially the ones who think, um, not who think, who feel like they're quite confident with cooking with Indian flavors, we wanted to give them a really high quality spice blend that is, you know, freshly roasted, um, made with a lot of love. So yeah, so we've originally, so we've now also started spice blends and we've also started um, Haldi Dude, which is kind of like a turmeric latte spice mix. Yeah, wow. And I imagine those spice mixes must be super important if all the recipes are a bit of this and a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've got it pre- pre-organised. And th- yeah, so tell me about the, 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 the pastes and the like, as that must be a bit of a lifesaver uh, for people as they are starting to try new dishes. Yeah, so I think because I created them as a solution for my problem, um, I am actually, I always say I'm my biggest uh, customer because I always take all the stuff that's left over after the farmer's markets and I cook all my weekly dinners with that. But um, yeah, we've had 
customers just really starting to um, get so much more confident with cooking with Indian flavors. I remember one of our customers coming to me and saying, have you tried tandoori paste on a piece of toast with avocado? And I was like, why would you put avocado (laughs) on tandoori paste? But you know what? I went back home and I tried it and it was brilliant. And now I recommend it to um, everyone, like make tandoori avocado on toast. It tastes amazing. And that is really what I want for my for my cuisine, because I know from my Parsi roots that, you know, like food and cuisine, it doesn't kind of stand in a moment of time. You take the threads that you know, and you create something really different. And what we really wanted was for people to become more confident with cooking with Indian food. So it's not this thing that like, oh, Indian, we just get takeaway. Um, And I think that that's what my products help people do. And where are you getting them out? You mentioned farmers markets just then. So we predominantly uh, sell online and we sell at farmers markets. Uh, We started out at the Parnell Farmers Market in Auckland um, and that's where we've actually been at the same stall that we managed to get because it was the Christmas rush. So they kind of squeezed us into the space and uh, the space was lucky. So we're like, we're not moving from here ever. (laughs) And um, yeah, so we've been there for close to, I think, 70 weekends now. Um, And then we're also at the Grayland Farmers Market and otherwise we ship online across New Zealand. What dishes would you recommend people start with to expand their minds past, you know, the <laughs> the standards they may know? I always recommend people to start with dal. So that's, you know, it's called lentils over here. But um, dal is like a foundation of Indian food, like every household um, no matter which community makes dal. And there's, again, there's so many different ways of making dal. Um, so it depends, but it's really easy because it's this one ingredient. You add turmeric, salt, um, you know, a couple of tablespoons of my magic ingredient, ghee, and boom, like you have this amazing dish. And for me, and I think for a lot of Indians, dal is like um, a dish that you come home to. It represents home. Because if you've been on a holiday, you've traveled a lot, you come home and you eat dal. So I always recommend that people start with dal. Um, And I also recommend people think about curry. You know, like when we talk about curry, We just think about it as this one dish, but it's actually a whole category of dishes and people have never thought about it like that. So curry is actually just gravy, um, but anything really can be a curry. And there's maybe like, I don't know, like thousands of different varieties of curry. So I think if you're at the, oh, I make curry at home level, then, you know, there's a whole other world waiting for you that you could try out. And ghee that you just mentioned there, tell us about that as like super um, important in um, the the cuisine, but probably not in everyone's um, fridge at the moment. I know. I feel like everyone in New Zealand needs to go and have some ghee because it's this um, magic ingredient that can make anything like even if it's rubbish, it will make it taste good. <laughs> um, so I, so ghee is essentially made um, when you cook butter and um, you cook it until the milk solids separate out. And because you've clarified it for so long, it's 
almost lactose free. And that means that even people that are lactose intolerant can have ghee. Um, the great part about ghee is that it's got a really high burning point. It's got this beautiful, like creamy, nutty flavor. Um, and yeah, you can add it to practically anything. Um, and you can add it at the start of a dish and use it as your fat, but you can also add it at the end of a dish. And it gives this kind of a beautiful hint of all the spices that are inside your inside your food. Um, and there's this, you know, again, there's this misconception that, oh, ghee is only, I'm only going to use it with curry. But no, you can use it like in your eggs, use ghee in your baking. I recently made uh, a pesto with ghee. And yeah, you can use it anywhere you'd normally use butter is what I tell people. And yeah, once you taste it, you'll know. <laughs> and more towards the oil side of things, hey, with that high smoke point. Yeah, and that's it makes that's why it's really good for Indian food as well, because a lot of Indian food originally starts with um, add onions and like fry the onions and then fry the spices. And so you really need that high burning point for the spices to kind of roast and cook off and release all their beautiful oils, which releases the fragrance. And if people are interested in in going a little bit wider, you've got a bunch of recipes and stories on your Dolly Mama um, site. What other resources would you recommend? Or is there, you know, is there like a, a, a Jamie Oliver for people who you know, like don't know, don't know, don't, don't know and don't feel confident um, and, and there's someone that they can kind of, is, is there a figure like that or a resource like that? I think um, UK has actually been doing such a great job um, in recent years with Indian food. I think uh, because the community in that diaspora is so much more older than New Zealand, um, there's many more figures um, and celebrity chefs and uh, people releasing books that um, kind of speak to the cuisine, but also understand that, you know, people are new to cooking with spices and things like that. Um, I don't have a kind of resource that comes to the top of my mind, um, but I, what I really recommend people do is kind of just um, give up that fear and experiment um, because I realized at least when I learned how to cook Indian food, when I had in my mind that like I just want to follow a recipe, my food never tasted as good. But the moment I kind of got free and started experimenting with ingredients, like boom, like you know, I just tasted way way better. What would your advice be for someone thinking of starting a business? So I feel like when you want to start a business, you should just um, start. Because like we started this, you know, there's this huge perception, especially with like food businesses and FMCG, um, that you need a lot of investment. You need, um, you know, like a beautiful logo and packaging and like heaps of money. But we started our business with $500. And most of that I just spent on getting that beautiful illustration of my mama. Because I feel like you really need to listen to your customer and you can only do that when you kind of go out into the market and start talking to people. And if you are afraid to even kind of begin, then you're never kind of going to go to step two. So my advice is always to just start. My second advice is to really think about what is the story? Like, what is your why for doing it? Because, um, you know, when you're a small business and you don't have too much money to advertise, if you want to get um, opportunities 
to share your story, people want to know your story. And so if you have a lovely story, not only does that help when you have to make business decisions, because it helps you know about your business values, but it also helps uh, that you have an interesting story to tell and people invite you on podcasts like this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you can share wonderful stories like the stories that are sitting up on the spinoff as well. Yeah. And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for the company? So I, one of the other reasons I started Dolly Mama is because when I was a teenager here, I felt really ashamed of, um, you know, taking my Indian food to school. Um, People would tease me like, oh, you just got curry, even though it was like potatoes in the lunchbox um, or something like that. And because of that, I went through a phase in my life where I really rejected my culture and rejected I didn't want to eat Indian food. And for me, success looks like that if my kids take an Indian lunchbox to school, they're not teased because other children know um, about Indian food and they know how amazing it tastes. And for me to do that, we need to like really build this bridge beyond butter chicken, but we need to meet the people where they are, which is why we've introduced products like tandoori paste and cashew korma, because we need to meet people where they are with what they know and then take them on that journey. So yeah, I think that's what success means to me. Like, I think if we can get to a point where people, where the image of butter chicken doesn't pop into your mind when I tell you I'm Indian, then I think I'll have done my work. Oh, I love that, person. And actually speaking to Albert Cho, who lots of people will know as Eat Lit Food, he tells a story of being a teenager at school and bringing, you know, noodles or rice or anything from um, the, the Korean culture of um, cooking and everyone teasing him. And now all the same people who teased him as small-minded kids are desperate to know where the good noodle or the good Korean is. And it's like... Yeah, like opening up, if we can open up people's minds when they're kids, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people hoping, uh, you, you know, trying to catch up still. Yeah. And I think that's just, um, yeah, I would love for people to know that, like you said, right, it's not, we're a huge community. We're one billion people. And we live in a nation where the food changes every hundred kilometers. So for people to kind of put a lid on that and say, oh, yeah, you eat curry or you eat butter chicken, that's just really not representative of who we are um, as a community. And I think the work relies on Indians and we need to do it. For a long time, I felt like um, my community would feel bad that our food was rejected, our culture was rejected, um, especially with like turmeric latte or haldi dude. Um, you'll always find an Indian sniggering um, saying, ah, ha, ha, they're having turmeric latte. But actually, the responsibility is on us to tell our stories and to meet people where they are and then take them on that journey and show them like, you know, this is all the cool stuff that exists if you would just try Oh, I love it. Well, I can't wait to see where you take it next. And thank you so much for sharing that story and your story today. That's Perzin Patel of Dolly Mama. Thank you so much, Simon. So thank you to Perzin Patel. Thank you to you for listening. And for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Teihei Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohura. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. 
Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.